Today's scripture comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. And uh, we encourage you to find the scripture uh, in your pew Bibles or you brought your own Bibles or a Bible app. It will also be projected behind me. And once you're ready to read the scripture, uh, we ask that you stand. We're going to have a responsive reading, which means that I'll read the first verse. We'll all respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. So please stand as able once you're prepared to read. Again, it's John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. And may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's message is called The Words of Life. And uh, I remember once I heard from a, a, a pastor that I knew, and I, I've, I've listened to some of his sermons. His name is Ken Fong. He serves in California. And uh, he was giving some advice uh, to, you know, especially newer or younger pastors uh, about their preaching. And one of the things he said is when we approach the Word of God, the first thing we need to do is to identify and recognize where we have contempt for the Word of God. And, and I remember hearing that, thinking like, contempt? Like, that's kind of a strong word. Well, what do you think of when you think of the word contempt? What does that mean? I think of like Simon Cowell, you know, like, like yeah, on American Idol, kind of like, you know, rolling his eyes at somebody or, you know, kind of crossing his arms, judging all over the place, thinking that he's better, that he knows better. And, you know, just kind of thinking that, that what some, someone is doing, what they're presenting is just garbage. And I wonder, is that how we treat the word of God sometimes? With this sort of arms crossed, eye rolling, you know, kind of thinking we're better than it, that we're above it, that we can judge it, that, that we know better, that maybe what we're reading is boring, uninteresting, that it's crap. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? And, and as Ken Fong w- was teaching about this, he said that, I know we probably wouldn't use that word. We don't like to think of ourselves for those of us who've been in the church for a while. And by the way, he was talking to preachers, right? He's talking to people who have committed, who've received this calling to follow Jesus, who believe in these words. And yet he's saying that perhaps it is those who are most familiar with the word of God that are in the most danger of being contemptuous of it. You guys ever hear that, that phrase? Uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Oftentimes, the people that you're closest to are the people that you, you just kind of write off sometimes, you know, like our parents or siblings. You know, you get annoyed with them. You roll your eyes at them. You can't stand them sometimes. Even though you love them, 
just sometimes you just don't want to hear them. It's hard to hear them in a way that maybe you would hear a, a good friend or, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, somebody like that. Um, and I think that sometimes that happens with us in Scripture. We've heard it so much that it's so familiar to us that we tend to write it off. Friends, I got to say that as I've been searching my heart about my attitude towards Scripture, I find that that can be true of me. And you know how I know this? Is that oftentimes I find myself skimming through Scripture. You know, it's almost like I read it and I just lose interest in the middle of it. Does that ever happen to you? You read it and you're just like, ah, not feeling this one. Just keep going. Have you ever gotten to a Scripture and you're just like, ah, don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like how Jesus is saying it. I don't like what it means. Or maybe you don't even understand what it means. So you just disregard it. What is that, friends? Is that not in a way contempt? So this is a pastor, right? You know, I'm a pastor admitting that I do this at times. So friends, if you do, you know, you're not alone. I think a lot of us may have this attitude towards scripture. You know, it's kind of like your family. You love your family, but sometimes you're, you kind of have contempt for them, right? In the same way, you may love scripture, you may love God, but at times you might have contempt for him. You might have contempt for his words. So what I wanted to do today um, was to talk about this idea of how do we receive God's word as the words of life, acknowledging the fact that we may actually have some contempt for the word of God. Because what we're going to be doing uh, over the next, well, really the next year, is we're going to be taking the gospel in its entirety. I kind of mentioned this before during the announcements, but I think part of the reason why I want to do this is because we so seldom do this. And I think we so seldom do it because it's hard. It's challenging. We don't really like it. There are times we get to parts of the, the gospel and we're like, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about here, right? And we just want to skip forward to the passages that we like that make us feel good. And, and I wonder, you know, think about Simon Cowell, Right? That like sort of like looking at people. By the way, I, I've seen Simon Cowell lately. I don't know him. He's not my friend or anything. But, <laughs> you know, it does seem like the dude has kind of mellowed out. So I'm just talking about like sort of people's, uh, you know, their conception of this guy who's just kind of frowning over something, putting himself in a position above it. And I wonder if any of us can be taught if we are in a position where we judge something and we are the ones who get to decide whether it's of value or not. And so um, as we go through a task as reading the entire gospel, I think this is something we have to take seriously. Um, And so I wanted to take a look at this story. This is in the Gospel of John about Jesus uh, uh, preaching to disciples, to people who want to follow him. And a lot of them end up leaving because of his words. So talk about contempt, right? His words actually drive them away. It's hard to imagine, right? But that's exactly what happened. So let's take a look at how this happens. So the context of this is Jesus had um, fed the 5,000, right? And it was a miracle. He fed uh, 5,000 men, and likely there were women and children who were not counted in that 5,000. So it was way more. Thousands of people with just a few fish and loaves of bread. It's a miracle, right? And people were just astounded at this, They had their fill. They're like, hmm, this is good. And so they followed him. And Jesus went and walked on the water, and he crossed the lake, and the people followed him. And so they're like, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you staying? What are you up to? And Jesus is like, oh, you're here because 
you ate the bread and you had your fill. And one of the things that he says in this exchange is he says, you need to follow my words and really believe in them and believe in me. And the word for belief that often is used in scripture is not the word for belief that we often think of. Because if you just think that, like, like you know, probably for most people, you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? No, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. No big deal. But the word that he's using really means to trust. You need to trust in me. Trust my words, right? And so for them, they say something kind of interesting. They say, okay, so what sign are you going to show us that's going to prove that we should listen to you, that we should follow you, that we should trust you? It's funny, isn't it? Remember, he had just did that crazy multiplying fish and bread thing. It's almost like, like, what do you want? You know, when is it going to be enough for you? What is going to convince you? You already saw a crazy miracle. But talk about what have you done for me lately? Ah, Jesus, that was so two hours ago, right? What else? What else are you going to show me? Right? And so already you see in the people is this attitude of, God, you've got to prove yourself. I mean, in a way, isn't that a sign? He already had shown them a sign of who he was, and it's not enough. It's very convicting of me. There are so many times where I have experienced the blessings of God. But when I get into a situation where I'm uncomfortable, maybe I'm being challenged, maybe God is asking me to do something, I start to question God, like, God, are you real? (laughs) God, how do I know? How do I know? You know, and it's like, I'm, I'm just like these people who have been shown the miracles of God, been shown the blessings of God, and yet it's not enough. When is it going to be enough for us? And so here the people are, and they're like, Jesus, show us a sign, and Jesus doesn't really play that. And what's interesting is these are people who were already following Jesus, and he had just done a spectacular uh, uh, showing of his power, right, this miracle Right? He has set up the stage for a worldwide following. Like all these people, thousands of people are like, Jesus, okay, we're ready to follow, but we need a follow-up back. Okay, Jesus, what's the follow-up act? What are you going to do for us? And if it were me, I would have like preached the best sermon I could possibly have. Right? I would tell like a really cute story, like, like very stirring, make people cry a little bit. You know? Maybe I would follow up with an even better miracle. You know, that's what I would have done. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus instead talks about cannibalism. You're like, what? Like, let's take a look. This is actually what Jesus does. So Jesus, uh, um, Jesus tells them that you need to eat my flesh, right? And so the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
Now, friends, if you have been part of the church, you already know that this is a metaphor, right? We didn't actually eat Jesus' flesh, right? We didn't actually drink his blood. But in a way, we did, right? Like, like there's the whole Last Supper thing, communion, something that we often do where we eat of the bread of life. We drink of uh, the cup, you know, grape juice or wine, depending on your church, and it's supposed to be the blood of Jesus Christ. But friends, why didn't Jesus just say that? Why didn't he just say, oh, by the way, this is highly symbolic, okay? <laughs> Don't freak out. <laughs> you know, I'm not actually talking about cannibalism here. He doesn't do that. But he did want them to understand something. You know, who am I to really question, well, you know, like the words Jesus Jesus to use, but let's, let's just for a second, like, take a look at this, you know? Why does he say, eat my flesh and drink my blood? It does seem that he is implying, man, you got to really have me in you. you got to have my life in you. I need to become a part of you. And Jesus doesn't mince words about this. Jesus doesn't say things that are going to make people comfortable. He, in fact, says something that's very, very awkward and uncomfortable. Friends, remember what the context is. You know, these are Jewish people, people who have grown up with very, very careful codes of what you eat and don't eat, right? Everything you eat, you got to ask, like, is this kosher? Is this according to the law? Can I eat this? Is there any shellfish in this? Is there cheese in this, this beef? You know, there's all these things they got to ask. They're so careful about they, what they eat, right? And here comes Jesus saying, you got to eat my flesh, Oh my gosh, talk about not according to the law, right? You got to drink my blood, right? They didn't drink the blood of animals. That was a big no-no. But you got to drink human blood? And so you can understand here where in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus, you done gone too far. You know, my gosh, who can listen to this? Right, so here's, here's how Jesus continues to, to talk. Again, he doesn't smooth it over. He says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I think that Jesus is, is trying to tell them, if you have a hard time accepting this, then you're going to really have a hard time when I start breaking the laws of nature, right? You're going to have a really hard time when I defeat this whole death thing and you see me float up into heaven. Man, your mind is going to be blown, right? So if you have a hard time with that, you know, what are you going to say when you see that I truly am the son of man, that I am the son of God, and I'm going to go back to where I came from before? And so friends, this is hard for them too. He does talk about being the son of God, uh, uh, being uh, you know, really putting himself on equal with God. And this is another thing that they have uh, a difficulty with. They're like, hey, we know your parents, Jesus. We know you're from. We know your hometown. We know people who grew up with you. What is this talk that you came from the Father, right? Like, that's blasphemy. You're going to put yourself on equal footing with God? They have a really hard time with this. But this is exactly what Jesus is doing. And Jesus does not apologize for this, Right? says, I am on equal footing. I am the son of God, right? He says, it is the spirit who gives flesh. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And, you know, this idea, the words he is giving are life. They are life-giving. And uh, uh, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after he says this, many of his disciples turn back and no longer walk with him. Friends, by the way, these were not people just off the street. People who were hearing Jesus for the first time, they were disciples. They were people who were already following Jesus. They had already bought in. They had already perhaps made some sacrifices to follow Jesus. But they're like, mm, this is too much. Can't do it. So they turn away. Many of them turn away. And so Jesus said to the 12, when like hundreds of people, thousands of people have abandoned him, says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There it is again, words of life. My word is spirit and it is life. You have the words of eternal life. But friends, can it be words of life when the words, excuse my French, when the words piss you off? When the words make you feel uncomfortable? When the words are hard to hear, where you're like, man, I really don't like this. It's really just making me angry. Can those still be words of life? Why was it hard to hear? Why are words of life sometimes hard to hear? Because words of life require change. It was hard for them to hear because it was so outside of their normal experience. It stretched them. It challenged them. It was forcing a change. And friends, change is always uncomfortable, isn't it? Think about like working out. Have you ever had a comfortable workout? What happens if every workout you have is comfortable? You you never break a sweat. You always look good doing it. You're you're just having a great time. You're, You're sipping you know, a fruity drink through an umbrella straw while you're just, hmm, this is so comfortable. I like this working out thing. You ever hear the, the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? Is your health going to improve if you spend years just doing comfortable workouts? You will not. You will not. It will not stretch you, right? What is comfort? Comfort is about staying the way that you are, right? So my heart rate doesn't go above what it used to be, Right? My muscles don't strain to lift something that was harder for them, that was outside of their normal experience. Everything is exactly the way it is. Sometimes the most comforting words are the most useless in some ways because all they do is tell you what you already want to hear, what you already believe. So Jesus comes with words of life. With what kind of life? Eternal life. Life that will last forever. Right? But these words piss people off. These words make people mad and make them turn away, make them want to shut their ears. But it brings life. And here you see the disciples, the ones who have been with him from the beginning. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Not had the words of eternal life. Oftentimes, this is what we do, friends. We're like, oh yeah, I had the words of eternal life. He had the words of eternal life. You know that whole John 3.16 thing? For, who, who, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. Like, okay, got it, got it, that's it. I had the words of eternal life. It's just that one little phrase. 
But that's not what the disciples say. You still have the words of eternal life. It's not just one thing. You can't just pigeonhole or reduce the gospel to just one phrase, one belief. Jesus continually has the words of eternal life. Some of you were probably like, whoa, it's going to take the entire year to go through the gospel of Mark? Yeah, and I picked the shortest one, right? (laughs) The gospel of Mark is only 16 chapters, but think about it. There are 34 weeks in the school year. So if I went really fast, which we're not going to, and I only did uh, two sermons on each chapter, right? Like sometimes the, the chapters can be like 60 verses. We did like 30 verses. Can you guys imagine standing with the 30 verses, right? If I did that every week, you know, we still, we would just barely get through the entire gospel. So, I mean, we're going to be going into the summer. I mean, it's going to take some time. So, friends, my point is, the gospels are long. There are a lot of words in there. Which ones are the words of eternal life? Is it just some of them? Is it just the ones that we like? The ones that we narrowly define as the gospel? But one of the things, just as a sneak preview, the first thing it says in the gospel of Mark is this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This, all of this, it's all the gospel. It's all good news. It is all words of life. And we can't ignore it. We can't pick and choose. We can't discard the stuff that we don't like. And especially the stuff that makes you mad. Especially the stuff you don't like. That's where perhaps you will get the most out of it, in a way. That may produce the most life. Because friends... What, what it is to acknowledge that Jesus has the words of life is to acknowledge that I don't, right? You have these people who come judging what Jesus says, judging what Jesus does. And so what are they doing? They're saying, I'm better than you, Jesus. I know better. You cannot teach me. The only thing you can teach me is what I already believe, Right? The only thing you can teach me is, is what I already find comf- comforting and comfortable, what I already like. But the stuff that I don't like, the stuff that challenges my way of being, I'm going to reject that. Right? And so for us to start from a place of saying, God, I don't know. And some of us, we don't know that we don't know. And we won't know until we are told. And there are so many times in life where, you, you, you know, you've been told a teachable spirit is so important. It's one of the things like employers look for, right? They don't want someone coming in day one. I don't know. Maybe you're learning to be a surgeon. You're like, ah, you can't teach me. I know everything, right? You're going to be a horrible surgeon. You're going to kill people, right? You have to go in very humbly like, hey, I don't know. Show me where I'm wrong. Oh, I'm holding the scalpel wrong? Well, by all means, show me the right way to hold the scalpel. I'm not going to be like, that's not the way you hold a scalpel. <laughs> I know. We don't know, friends. We don't know. And we need to be told. And we need to have this humility to come under the teaching of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, teach us. You have the words of eternal life. We don't. We need that challenge. We need to be stretched. And friends, you know, at times... I think what, what is very helpful for me is to come to a place where I can lay down um, all that I am before God. Because the, most, uh, the vessels that God can use the most are the ones that are empty, right? When we are so filled up with what we think we know, I mean, just think about like, you know, <laughs> the phrases we use. You ever, ever said of someone, they're full of it. 
I mean, you can fill in the blank for what it is, right? But we're full of something. Are we really full of the things of God? Are we so full of the things of ourselves? Are we so full of the notions that we think we know that there is no room for the Word of God? It's so challenging in this day and age, right? So, so often um, you hear people talk about how we just don't learn anything anymore. When you get to a certain age, you don't learn anything because you're so full of the notions that you think you know that when somebody tries to uh, share something with you, we don't really listen anymore. All we do is we reload. We just, we're, we're getting ready for what we're going to say. And what we're going to say is what we already believe, right? We're not really in a place of humility to say, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is something for me to learn. Maybe there is something where I can learn more. And friends, I, I'm, I'm encouraging you. I, I'm going to uh, just be very honest. This is going to be a miserable year uh, if you stick with us. <laughs> if you're already full of your notions of who Jesus is. Because when you actually read the Gospels, it really does quite a number on what we may think we know culturally about Jesus. It's challenging, but it's also wonderful. It is good news. It is words of life. But we got to empty ourselves. we got to come with some humility, saying, God, teach us. Lord, you have, the eternal, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want to just take a moment uh, for us to pause here. You know, just hearing someone talk about this, you know, that, that's one thing. But I want to give you guys a moment to process what you've heard. You know, is that challenging for you to hear that maybe there's some things we don't know? Maybe there are some words that are going to come from Jesus that are going to really piss us off. Maybe there's some things that we're just really not going to have room for. Maybe we haven't been the most teachable people. Maybe we've made these assumptions about what we already know. I remember uh, <laughs> when I was uh, teaching a confirmation class when I was a, a, a youth group pastor, um, there were these eighth graders. Eighth graders, right? So what is eighth grade? It's like 13 years old, you know? And I asked them um, to rate their Bible knowledge on a scale of 0 to 10, right? Like, how much of the Bible do you know, right? And some of these people had been in, you know, like they grew up in the church, you know, some of them, you know, for a few years, but most of them had been in the church for like more than a year, right? 13 years old. And I asked them, how would you rate your Bible knowledge? So, like, 10 is your Jesus, and 0 is like you've never read the Bible before, Right? Every single one of them, a class of about 15 eighth graders, they all said 9 or 10. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you should be teaching this class. Oh, my gosh. Right? And I was like, guys, I'm just telling you, like, like, I'm a pastor, and I think I'm like a 6, you know, like maybe a 5.4 tops, you know. I know we may be using different metrics, but if you go in thinking you're a 9 or 10, I mean, there's not much God can teach you. Right? There's not much room for the word of God. Friends, I, I, I am continually amazed. One of the, the most humbling but important uh, 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 journeys that I've been going through is becoming convinced of what, what I don't know, of what I still have yet to learn about God. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. It's challenging. It stretches me. But man, it is life-giving. When we align ourselves with the life of God, when we actually have God come into us, right? 
You know, that's what Jesus was saying. You actually have to ingest me. I need to become a part of you. And what you're going to need to do is to sort of push aside some of your narrow concepts of what the law is, of what scripture is, right? You become so legalistic about it, so I have no other way to tell you, but you got to eat my flesh. you got to take me into you. And if you can do that, then you will live. Think about what the life of Jesus must have been like to know the Father intimately. That is a wonderful thing. That is a joyful thing. That that is something that is incredibly appealing. You know, you see Jesus who faced death. You know, yeah, it was hard at times, but, you know, he knew God was with him. He loved people so completely. People who are full of it. We don't love quite like Jesus, do we? We don't face the challenges of life the way Jesus does. We don't have his eternal life, not the way Jesus has, but Jesus wants to give it to us. But we need to empty ourselves. We need to take in his full life. Praise team, can you guys come up? And and I want to encourage you to pray and just reflect. Maybe to confess. If maybe something I said today made you mad, maybe something I said today, you found yourself just being really tempted to tune out. Can you just take a moment to be honest with yourself and before God, why might that be? Am I just really tied to the things that I want to believe about God, that I want to believe about Scripture? Am I afraid to be open to what Jesus might continually teach me? Am I full of it? Am I full of myself? Am I thinking that I know more than I probably do? Friends, it is one of the things that is so important for us to be humble, for us to empty ourselves. Maybe we can take a moment to do that, to confess. Jesus, I'm sorry for thinking I knew it all, thinking I knew your scripture, thinking I knew your good news backwards and forwards. But maybe I don't know as much as I think I do. So Jesus, will you empty me of my um, arrogant notions of, of just how good I am, how knowledgeable I am, of how much I still have to learn. Lord, I want to learn. I want to have that humility to hear from you. And friends, remember, if you're in that company, so am I. (laughs) I'm still learning. There's still many ways my pride needs to be broken too. So friends, let's go humbly before the Father. Let Him break our pride. Let's lay down our notions of Him. Let's lay down all the things that we think we know. Let's empty ourselves before the cross of Jesus Christ as He emptied Himself for us to show his immense love, to pour out his love to all of us. Let us pray. Jesus, we just come before you, God. Just confess, Lord. I realize, God, that I am so arrogant at times. I think I know everything, God, and I don't. Lord, even in just sharing today, God, I'm just so in awe of what I don't know. But sometimes I get wrong, God. Lord, thank you, Lord, for wanting to teach us more wanting to show us more of your life, God. Your words of eternal, everlasting life, God. You still have them, God. You still have them. Lord, ultimately, God, with my heart of hearts, that's what I want. I want your words, God. I want your words of eternal life. God, there is so much I don't know. Help us to listen. Help us to receive, God. Lord Jesus, help us to, to make room for you, God. Jesus Christ.
for this immense gift, for this immense love that you desire to share ourselves with you. And you didn't concern yourself with what the crowds thought, even when the words were unpopular, even when people didn't like what you were saying. You kept saying them, Lord, because you knew that if we could create that room, that they would be words of everlasting life, that we would be able to share in your eternal life. And God, ultimately, I want that, Lord. And I know many of us do. So God, we just want to say to you, God, we are sorry for our arrogant notions that we knew no more than you, that we have all the knowledge we need. God, we want to empty ourselves and receive from you again the words of everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.